Welcome once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I am pleased and I'm honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows, one of the shows that we have up on air and online. Yeah, I guess either either terminology would work here. Uh, on or as either a podcast, you may be listening to us as a podcast right now, or listening as uh, listening to our radio loop. That is the loop of the show running on a separate computer, a designated, a a a ordained, a specially indicated. Uh, I, I I would paint it a separate color, but I think that's unnecessary. But it's sitting there in a corner, all by itself, very privately, running the show in a loop using special software to make that happen. That show, in turn, being pushed over to our local modem, which, in turn, by all sorts of miraculous things, is connected somehow to some massive bank of servers someplace. And on one of those servers, uh, it is our signal is somehow uh, recognized and then pushed out to the planet generally. Which all comes down to, if you go to www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, you get to choose between two links. The first two links on the homepage, right below that lovely photograph of the microphone that I'm speaking on right now. And the first link takes you to the standard podcast version of this show. And you'll know it's this show because it'll be the first one on the list. If you go to the second link, the radio loop, it says it's a radio loop, it will take you to this show as well, but it'll take you to whatever point in the show the show happens to be running in at that moment because it's running in a loop. And it'll be running, that show will be running in a loop as long as it is our most recent show. We will put up a second show. We put up two a week right now, sometimes three but two a week, and the show that's currently running as a loop is also the top show on the list of podcasts until replaced by the next show. And we're always there, 24-7, center-left radio. That's what we've been doing for oh, over five years and over 750 shows so far. Rather, rather proud to think about that. Um, it's, uh, it's a commitment we've made, and it's a commitment we obviously intend to continue uh, fulfilling for the foreseeable, or, well, <laughs> the way things run these days, the unforeseeable. Uh, I would have thought, if you would ask me 15, 20 years ago, if we had experienced everything we'd experienced uh, in the world of gun madness, uh, somehow, by now, we would have found a way to, at a minimum, at a minimum, uh, implement national gun standards. That would include uh, a, a form of background check that would get, that would basically uh, 
negate the advantage uh, purchasers had when they went to gun shows. Th there would be a pretty strict and strong background check process in place in this country. We would have red flag laws that would absolutely keep tabs on gun owners all over the damn place, making sure that they were mentally sound. We would absolutely have uh, automatic weapons uh, outlawed. We would have them either off the street or most certainly, most certainly uh, unavailable uh, for purchase at this stage in the game with some kind of a, a time frame by which they would have to all be off the street. There would be mandatory, mandatory sentencing in this country for people who used a gun, stolen or legal, one way or the other, in the commission of a crime. It would be tantamount to, to what felony murder does, essentially if you are using a weapon or are part and parcel of, uh, of a process that goes awry, you are part of the felony at the highest level of that felony. That's how the gun situation would work. And we certainly would not have passed the Heller decision. That was another shocker, but that also simply set the, paved the, paved the way for the uh, politicization or the open politicization of the court, which is resulting in or has resulted in, if you, if you assume the court is simply going to publish the opinion that it's already uh, uh, leaked out, uh, concerning the abolition, the destruction of Roe v. Wade, the destruction of stare decisis, virtually the destruction of the credibility of the court and its functionality. I, I wouldn't have predicted all of that 20 years ago. I wouldn't, when, when Columbine happened, one had to imagine, okay, yeah, the NRA has a huge grip on this, and yeah, they're spinning this story a certain way, but, but after a few hundred more uh, mass shootings and God knows how many kids and how many churches and how many schools and how many shopping centers have to get shot up by people with automatic weapons and weak minds and influenceable concepts and tons and tons and tons of fear, you would have thought by now at a federal level, we would have done something. I would go so far as to say any rational society, any rational society would have done something by now, but it seems that the forces that are against doing rational things are dug in even all the more, which tells me that we are not, are not, a rational country when it comes to gun ownership, gun use, gun, uh, gun crime, gun violence, gun everything. There, there is no direct line between our observation of the damage that guns do and a natural, I would call it a natural recognition of what it is that needs to be done in terms of curbing that violence. Seeing the problem, seeing the violence, seeing the pain being caused, and having a relatively, I would say, natural 
reasonable, rational reaction that says, this can't be this way. In fact, the last thing that one would expect, of course, would be to go in an opposite direction and make guns more available or to go out of one's way to acquire more guns or to encourage the acquisition of more guns whenever there is one of these mass killing uh, events that take place. This is not rational behavior. Now, it, it, it certainly uh, it, it doesn't track with 80% of the nation, and that would include, obviously, a large number of gun owners who say there should be national, rational uh, background checks, that there should be stronger, absolute red flag laws, that, 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 that automatic weapons have no place in a rational society, that commission of crimes with guns should have uniform sentences across the board, all of these things. There is a strong statement out there, but nothing seems to be doable. It is, I have to throw it to the Republicans, of course, and one or two, well, if you had even a handful of Republicans, we could get all this done pretty damn quick, certainly at the federal level. But you can't get even a handful of Republicans. They are dead set against this. Now, the question again becomes, why? And, and, and the easy answer is, well, NRA money, but the NRA, okay, the NRA is in bankruptcy. The NRA is, 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 is financially in lousy shape, but even with that bankruptcy, apparently, as I understand, it has some kind of a side hustle going here. There is a, um, a, a PAC, a political PAC fund, that travels by the name of, that, that is presented as an NRA-sponsored PAC, which is still managing to collect and disseminate uh, money out to various uh, political candidates around the country. And the connection between the NRA and the base of the, the radical base of the Republican Party, the, the, the gun nuts of this country, is still highly established. And basically, the ability of various, um, of, of, of the various politicians to free themselves of NRA influence and to vote rationally. Therefore, to vote in a way that might go or run, a, run foul of the concepts and desires of the more radical aspects of their base, there just seems to be no way to get this done. Which, which leads me to think that there's something damned wrong in this country something really, really profoundly screwed up here. The only possible reason, and I, and I mean this, the only possible rational reason why people would, would, would basically not budge an inch, not even want to take a symbolic 
inch of change or allow a symbolic inch or two of change uh, to at least admit to themselves the importance of stepping away from the position we find ourselves right in. The only reason why people are, are holding on for dear life and even holding on tighter for dear life to the same insane concepts about guns knowing the damage they cause, is that there must be a perspective about what a gun and gun ownership represents to a large enough group of people in this country to completely overwhelm their rational capacity to flee from danger. And, or, or put it another way, there must be a larger danger in the you know fight or you know fight or flight situation, the 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 fight, the fight element, the fight reaction is being overcome by a flight need, a need to flee from rationality, flee from doing the right thing. It must be overwhelming the fear. The fear that is being welled up, the fear, the fear reaction in the American people is, is just devastating to, to, to recognize or to attempt to recognize. And, and, and again, you know, you, you hear the right, the, the, the standard, well, it's about mental illness. We, we have to focus on mental illness. And those, and that is obviously a catchword, a catchphrase that's used to basically say we must go down a rabbit hole because invariably that's going to find its way into various state legislatures and attitudes about it, it it won't it won't take you directly to red flag laws that's that's the idea behind mental illness and more than that it makes the onus on the individual and it's never about the guns it's never about the sheer physical reality of an assault weapon that's designed to do one thing and do it only and do it well and that is to kill people there's never a focus on the weapons themselves the weapons are sacrosanct it's everything around the weapons it's the fear that's bigger than the damage that can be done by them. What, what kind of a fear, what, what could produce, okay, let's try it this way, what could produce that level of mass fear in a society that even knowing rationally how dangerous a, 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 a class of implements, of instruments are, the fear of losing them, the fear of, of, of controlling them is so overwhelming that there is a willingness to not only tolerate the current situation, but to even amplify it. What what causes that? What, what could be at the heart of that? How, how do people allow themselves to become this dependent? Or is, it, is it guns as a drug? Is it, is it guns replacing a form of rationality? Is it guns offering a form of assurance 
Is it guns in place of? It's, it, it seems to be a replacement. Or over time, guns have become a symbolic statement of something that is otherwise lacking in a large number of American people. What the hell is it? The, the closest thing I can come up with is sort of encapsulated in a um, in sort of a, a billboardish sort of thing, and I've seen this. I've seen it online. I've seen I've seen artwork depicting this. I've seen it done in any number of ways. You probably have as well. And it just pops up where you least expect it. It's, it's three lines that are always written together, and it's always with a very aggressive, uh, macho-looking guy and maybe a macha-looking woman, and they're holding guns or they're doing something angry, and there's, there, there's, there's, a, there's a mean toughness about the whole thing. And the lines go, my God my guns and my president and 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 still it's my president referring obviously to donald and you saw this a great deal uh around the time of the 2020 election and you saw it uh especially as donald began proclaiming as he realized he was going to lose as he realized that statistically he couldn't win uh, he began using, uh, he began revving up his base to the notion that if he lost, it would have been stolen. And if it was stolen, it was stealing their last chance to hope for MAGA land, for the America that never existed but should have existed, where it literally was legal to basically be hateful, or well, at least we bring back the hatefulness of the pre-1965 civil rights laws and everything else, and all the things that white people or less capable white people fear, or maybe capable people fear because they fear things for other reasons. In any event, Donald was brilliant in bringing out, not, not creating, but in, 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 in teasing out and coaxing out the darkest of the dark emotions about fear of change, the largest of those for many people being the visual change that America was going through, is going through, and I've repeated this on this show countless times, the fact that at some point, I think now most of the demographers agree, sometime in the next 20 to 25 years, the average person in the United States will not be of two white parents, okay? There will be mixed Mixed people and totally non-white people will be the majority of people in this country, be they legal, illegal, citizens, what have you, but people in our workforce, people who live in America, the majority will not be of two white parents, to which most people at first here, you know, first you have to stop and think about it. And it's like, wow, geez, I never thought about that. Okay, and once you've thought about it, you can have one of several reactions. To the people with the emotional reactions about guns, 
the reaction is, well, that's it. They're going to take it all away from us. That seems to be the larger sense, that somehow this, this demographic transition that the country is going through, it's inevitable, by the way, it's going to happen no matter what, that somehow that transition, when the official day comes about, that we are officially not, the difference between the day before and the day after, there will be this loud booming noise and the country will begin sinking into a gigantic sinkhole, sort of, sort of a la John Cusack in, uh, in 2012, if you remember that movie, the one that basically was done uh, to uh, sort of get people focused on the fact that the Aztec calendar said that the world was going to end in 2012, well it obviously didn't. But any of these fear-induced or, or traditionally imagined uh, ends-of-the-world scenario, I, I, I think that for a, a, good, a good chunk of this country that has not been able to uh, deal with the technological changes that are there, that, has, that feels, because they have not much, and has watched uh, much go go south or go wrong with the middle class manufacturing jobs uh, that were there. A lot of that's not there anymore. A lot of what has to be, what can be gotten, is turning into te technological jobs. A great number of jobs, a number of jobs, remain unfilled right now, which is very very ironic given COVID. One would think that with the several million jobs that have gone unfilled in the United States right now, a lot of people would find some degree of um, solidity, some degree of, uh, of, of comfort, and maybe some security in the notion that, yeah, I can get and get, and I'll get a job that'll, that'll be paying me well going forward or paying something decent, but it may not be the job that you had once before. None of that seems to fit into the equation there is this constant sense of, I've lost something. And the thing that, that offsets it for most of the people that I've run across who feel this loss the strongest, who among themselves, among their friends, within their families, in their bars, in their social gatherings, at their barbecues, however they, and with, with whomever, they, they communicate these feelings honestly. The sense is, I am powerless. I've lost whatever power I might have thought I once had. And there is this willingness to have this loss of power uh, rationalized by whomever will give you both a, an object to focus on to say that this is the cause of the loss of power and therefore also an object of anger, of hatred. And in the case of America now, a mechanism for at least temporarily, or, or up to now, uh, feeling some kind of uh, 
a bit safer, uh, some some kind of compensation, some kind of some kind of uh, uh, of strength, uh, in spite of this this negative position, in spite of this diminishing perspective that people have, and and this strength comes in the form of deadly weapons. Now. Does everyone who owns a deadly weapon, and any gun is a deadly weapon, but of course, automatic weapon, is everybody doing it only because they feel diminished and lesser than and not capable of and are all very, very frightened about uh, what, uh, what may come in the future and this is compensatory. This is basically uh, uh, their, their, their penis. You know, it's, it's an extended penis imagery and we can get into the psychology and psychiatry of this forever. But is, is that the nature of gun ownership generally? And I, and I would say probably not. There's a lot of rational people owning guns, but there's a tremendous number of people who do use guns, guns, God, and Donald. They all come together. God gets always gets thrown in there somewhere. Religion is always a vehicle in all these things. But there is a large, large group of people who essentially are clinging to their guns and their God and their non-existent president as a way of compensating for some pretty, pretty um, uh, diminished feelings they have about themselves and their position in American society. Does any of that equate to, well, that is a good reason, therefore, that we should continue to be utterly irrational about guns. No. No, of course not. But it does, it, it, it sets the table, essentially. And it makes you understand just how overwhelmingly powerful, these feelings of inadequacy, this need to compensate must run within a large enough segment of the gun-owning public to prevent politicians, to make politicians scared to death of being primaried to irrelevance, a la Donald these days on the federal level, if they should even dare to suggest that there should be some rational control over guns in this country. Because Donald has recognized that if there's anyone who understands fear, it's Donald Trump. He lives in a state of it. He lives in a compensatory, he lives in a world where he is compensating for his inadequacies and his narcissistic uh, neg negative uh, Qualities. I mean, again, I love the days when, when Mary Trump, his niece, was legally able to speak, and boy, did she lay this guy out perfectly as a, as a, uh, as a licensed psychologist, called the guy directly, and as always said, he will only do worse. He cannot, he has no reverse gear, and he has no off switch. So Donald must do worse. Donald is egging the entire Republican Party to keep lowering its, I would say rising, but raising its temperature, but lowering its mindset 
to the point of we, we must do anything we have to do to make me have my revenge. And being a mob boss, of course, his basic notion is I'll have others do it for me. This is the way this works out. We can't seem to get past that stage. What happens in societies that have an absolutely pressing need that presses further and harder and stronger with a view that is held by the majority but which is basically shut down by the minority? A minority of people, a severe minority of people in the positions of power are preventing even a symbolic movement towards a rational position on gun ownership. We've been doing this so long, it may seem as though it's a natural and automatic thing. Oh, well, it'll just go on. But I would suggest that there is a cumulative effect taking place. And were this gun situation happening in otherwise calm, political, and other times, I don't know, it, it, it might be different, but you see, this is all coming up as all of the other madness in our society keeps bubbling along. We have a Supreme Court that has self-invalidated, okay? We have, we know the Republican Party, the Republican Congress, essentially, is going to, if it wins back at least one of the houses of Congress this November, it will shut down the next two years of, of, uh, of, of the presidency, okay, of Joe Biden. That's, it'll do the same thing that it did with, um, with Barack Obama. And the country stops functioning again. The Republican Party stops doing anything again. Anything that can be done to help in terms of uh, red flag laws and things of that nature will cease to happen. Anything that has to do with um, rational laws concerning voting will all cease to happen. Anything that has to do as far as women's reproductive rights in a positive way will will automatically cease to happen. It will not happen on a federal level. It can't because people are afraid of this tiny minority within the country with a 12th century view of the planet and a stranglehold, it would appear, on both our judicial and legislative processes. What will become more apparent in the weeks ahead, if things go as they are going, is that we are not a functional government beyond our capacity to project external power. We have no domestic abilities other than the ability to maintain our corporations to provide us with whatever it is we need to give us the sense that we are feeling rather flush and, and feeling rather good about our lives. But, but underneath it all is a strong underlying fear, and that fear is communicated outward from a base that is feeling its strongest, and it is being pushed back and forth against everyone else in the society, the irrationality of that fear and its irrational capacity to avoid any positive action is, being, is a poison 
that is working its way through the rest of society. That cannot remain in stasis. That cannot remain as a status quo. That cannot simply continue to be what America is and will always be going forward. It can't just be this ugly place. You can't, can you imagine us being in this position with guns two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years? What, what do you think would happen? We'll just continually tolerate this notion that people can kill and destroy, and then every time it happens, there is an irrational effort to avoid getting something done. Do you imagine that that is a sustainable position? No, it's not. People will not just allow this to continue. We are moving ever closer to a breaking point. We are moving into that demographic range where things are going to change. We are moving to all these places that white supremacist and Donald Trump and everything that he knows how to basically trigger and put an edge into and, and, and suggest either directly or indirectly and all, of his, and all of the forces that work with him know how to exploit simply for his own power so that he can get what he wants. I don't think that he wants necessarily any kind of change in anything except to make life better for him. But he knows that he can get people to do it. His high is watching other people do his bidding and watching them love him and watching them say how great he is. And the huge danger there, therefore, is that he has no sense of the boundaries of where anything that he does might go. Now, if he runs for president, we've said this here before on this show, it will automatically trigger a crisis at the point of the election because he will lose an election. He will have been indicted probably now, it looks like, by Georgia before, the, before that presidential election would take place. This is going to create another really very, very crisis-like situation here. And people are going to have to understand that this is basically an endpoint. If he doesn't run and some other lunatic within the Republican side trying to out out Trump Trump does run, then the question is, well, what the hell do we do now? What, what is this person going to be? Are they out trumping Donald? How will they be able to win? If they lose, will they therefore begin and start their own insurrection? Will Donald suddenly wave his hand or start clanking his, his tin cup against his prison bars or wherever the hell he he's, is at that point and say, I want to recount, I want this whole thing to change. In fact, I want to start by recounting 2020 before they even start 2024 because no one could have ever kicked me out of office. And do you, do you see where we go with this? And then you take the fear of the guns, you take the fear of the racial aspect, and you keep, you keep feeding this into this entire process, and you, and you fight rational action, you fight thoughtfulness, you fight anything that is actually for the good of the country ultimately. You take a totally non-functional Supreme Court that has proven itself to be completely politically oriented, willing to destroy itself in order to fulfill a mandate that Donald Trump has given to three people, two of whom lied during their during the testimony they gave during their their uh, the, the, the hearings leading to their appointment. 
They lied to the Senate. How do you deal with this? How do you deal with the fact that the Congress will shut down and do nothing? How do you deal with the presidency basically uh, left as the only viable branch and the only logical place where more power should be concentrated? We've seen what has happened with that. We saw the beginnings of that under George Bush, Bush 43. We saw how that whole worked out. We saw the whole Rovian way in which this is being put together. We've watched this play out more and more. We've seen what Donald is doing. We're watching power being forced into the executive, but then when the executive is not doing what the 12th century minority doesn't want, we're watching how that minority can pull things away, and we're also therefore experiencing what could happen when you have the wrong person back in the office of the presidency. We're seeing our vulnerability. We're seeing the vulnerability of our system writ large. And the question is, can we find a way to work through this? The only way to begin the process of working through this is to recognize that it is fear-driven. When you, when you focus on fear, on the reality of fear, when you begin talking about it, you instantly basically drive the people who are fearful even more fearful at the moment, but you don't stop talking about it. You get it out there. You lay out the proposition that this is driven of fear. This is why you are doing this. This is why we perceive only someone who is fearful would be doing this. Otherwise, you would recognize that the actions you are taking are basically driving this country into a state of potential internal conflict and, and basically dissolution, at least from a functional uh, governmental uh, perspective. If you want that, then you really have to ask yourself why. Why do you want to insurrect and therefore ultimately limit the existence of the United States? Is your fear so deeply rooted at this point that you can't imagine this country functioning as anything like how it's functioned in the past? Is that really where you're coming from? You have to ask yourself that question. And if the answer is yes, my, my, my desire is to tear it down, then our last best hope is to at least begin some kind of dialogue about that and to recognize the reality of what would most likely happen if we tore this down. To stop fantasizing about the destruction of this country and discussing the likelihood of what it would be like to take America apart. Let's have that discussion. Now, it's, that's not exactly a, a campaign, you know, stump speech, not the type of thing that you want to hear, but, but, there, but it has to be somehow gotten out there. It has to get into our collective consciousness that if we keep going the way we're going now, avoiding responsibility for taking responsibility, avoiding any rational action to correct, to correct the most obvious grievances, the most, the, the most obvious faults and flaws within our, within our body politic and within, our, within the structure of our government, then invariably we are going to fall apart functionally. What does that mean? 
Where does that leave us? We've got to begin that conversation. I, I, uh, I, I trust that a lot of you caught uh, Joe Biden's uh, presentation, his, his, his brief uh, speech on guns, the second one he did, second one in 10 days. Uh, yesterday evening, I think it was about 7.30 Eastern time. And it was impassioned, it was, it was wonderful, it was brilliant, it said it all, it, it was from the heart. But, you know, where does it go? Where will it go? Where, where sh where, we know where it should go. But I would suggest that until we really start dealing with the fundamental fears that people have, at least the minority, that, that, that the, the 12th century minority in this country has. If we don't deal with them, at least recognize them, and hopefully get these people to recognize their own fears, and our, and our fear, and our fears of their fears. If we don't get fear on the table, so un-American to talk about fear. Well, we're the biggest, we're frightened, scared shitless. We are. And we're scaring one another, and, and we're scaring ourselves to the point where we can't even have a conversation about how frightened we all are. Because it's just so, so beyond us to, to be frightened, or, and certainly to talk about our fears. It's a scary situation. And the Republicans are doing everything in their power to basically say, well, it'll, and they're rationalized, well, it'll self-correct over time. And the maybe the Democrats will help us get rid of Donald, and that'll be a big part of the problem. And it'll, it'll, it'll sort of balance itself out over time. And maybe the NRA will stop being such a force. And maybe, and maybe the loonies, maybe the 12th century crowd in America, they'll, 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 they'll stop being so nuts. It, it'll, it'll all work. We, we don't have to do anything, do we? I mean, I know what our oath of office says, to defend and uphold and to do everything that we, I, I know it's all about doing, but we really don't really have to do anything, do we? Yes, we do. We have a great deal to do. And the first thing we have to do is to face fear. What we have to do on an individual basis, in a family basis, what we have to do in a therapy environment, what we have to do on a citywide basis within organizations, within companies, the first thing you have to face is your fear of what? Find, name it. Name the fear. Name that fear. Johnny, I could name that fear in two notes, three notes. Probably most people will recognize it the second they start laying it out there. And recognize that it is a fear. And recognize how we respond to that fear. This is how a lot of companies begin their whole restructuring process and rethinking themselves. And it, it's a process that's proven very successful. Well, it works for individuals in therapy. It has to work for countries too. Because if it can't, because if we continue doing what we're doing right now, the future does not bode well. I'm sorry, I, I, I'd like to say otherwise. But the future does not bode well for us if we keep going in the direction we're going. You can't have this rational need for action running up against an irrational uh, need to preserve the worst of things as they are right now and therefore mischaracterizing how things are and ignoring death, even death, even death of children. It has to be ignored, it has to be swept under the carpet, quickly buried away, because it, it 
interferes with or it it intersects with or it triggers a realization of the deepest fears of the people who are afraid to change the worst in our society. It's um, got to keep talking about it. And we got to get people to do something about it. It can't be swept under the carpet or buried six feet under. Fortunately, I, I think we're going to hear more about that this morning because it is Friday. It is the 3rd of June, and David Bach will be joining us in just a moment. So with that, I get to say for the first time on our Friday shows, the, uh, that, little, uh, the, that little line that, for the moment, serves as, a, uh, as an apostrophe, as a, as a hiatus, as a, as a chance to kick back and think about what we're saying as we get ready to hear what David has to say this week. You know the line. It goes like this. A little jazz.
This is Richard Gazer. You know, it takes lots of time and effort and all kinds of resources to produce the kind of quality program we produce here at Center Left Radio. And it costs money to do it. Now, if we screamed a little louder or thought a little less about what we were saying, we could probably get a few advertisers to pay us to sell their products to a more tribally predictable audience. But that's not who we are or who you are. You come to center-left radio for non-commercial, thoughtful commentary. You're looking for an honest, progressive approach to solving America's problems, not exacerbating them. And we're committed to providing all of that. We're one of the few stations offering full-time, non-commercial, progressive programming. And we're the only station, the only one, doing it with a combination of hope, politics, and that most eloquent of all original American art forms, jazz. Think of it this way. We support your needs. Now we're asking you to support ours. Take a moment and go to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, and go to the donate page. And when you get there, give whatever you can on a one-time or maybe a recurring basis, $5, $10, $1,000, whatever you can contribute to make center-left radio's unique progressive voice stronger and even more significant as the full extent of the wrongdoing of Donald Trump and his associates becomes all the more evident. And as we seek to hold the House Democrats accountable for the promises they made to the American people during the last election. Yeah, you know what's at stake. And I know, we all know, we can count on you. On behalf of all of us at Central F Radio, thank you. You're listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz, and you're listening to us on the web at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. You're listening to us as either a podcast or you're listening to us as a radio loop. Either way, uh, it's the show that's up on the radio loop and the first show that's up on the podcast they're the same show however you're listening in or maybe you're listening in uh through your own podcast source uh if that's the way you're listening in and not listening in through our website link look for us under center left radio one way or the other look for us on friday because that's the day that david bach joins us and this being friday the sixth of the uh, sorry the third of june uh, that is precisely what is about to happen. So that gives me the opportunity to start this off, uh, to close my eyes, to take the leap of faith that has always proven so effective and, and so rewarding in the past. Why not do it again? David, what's on your mind? Well, there's a lot. I mean, it comes down to a couple different things. So uh, if you like what I say here, you can find me on twitch.tv slash fresh faces no ideas. And you can also find me on Twitter at Faces Ideas. Yeah. Um, I usually stream 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. EST during the week. Um, so this country is uh, is still reeling from the never-ending, literally never-ending stream of mass shootings. Um, we had uh, Buffalo a couple weeks ago. We had Uvalde. And Uvalde's bad. 
like not just because it's the second largest murder of kids it's because it's possible that like every single thing the police did made it worse just everything they did yeah yeah um now we don't know all the details yet but they have stopped uh the the school police and the regular police have stopped working with the uh the state investigators and their answer, from what I understand, was basically, "Hey, when you stop grieving so much, uh, we'll we'll start working with you." Um, which probably is not a good take because if you they wait for them to stop and then we find out how much more you fucked up, it probably won't make people happier with and you. There, and there'll probably be a few more mass shootings coming in between, so that'll sort of take, you know, there's just so much that the American public, uh, good, bad, or indifferent, can absorb at one time. So the interest might, uh, might wane for this particular uh, mass killing of young children. Yeah, you know, but there's well, a, a lot of things yeah. you could hope for, you know. If you're talking about um, interest waning or there'll be another, I think we've had five since Uvalde. It's wonderful. It's just wonderful to keep, to be able to keep track of it and 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 to and to just remind ourselves every single time how a group of people, a, a small minority of people in this country, can basically hold the entire country hostage and uh, and expect that things will just stay that way. That's the scary thing. I, I don't think we can just keep going on this way. This is this is not going to work. It's not no, going to work. But like, so here's the thing: when we talk about gun control, there's there's a couple different things to it. Um, obviously, an assault weapons ban would be helpful. Um, I know the uh, the one that was in, I believe it was the Tulsa Hotel or the Tulsa Hospital, because there was a couple hospital shootings this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Um, that one, the guy bought the gun same day. Oh, great. Uh, so this is why people advocate for universal 10-day background checks because the Uvalde shooter also tried to get one earlier with from his sister, and she told him no. So once he had access to one, he got to shooting. Oh, um, okay. Oh. So, so a general assault weapons ban isn't, isn't going to solve all the problems. Most of the, the, the deaths in, uh, involving guns in this country are due to handguns. Right. Um, the bigger way to solve the shooting problem is to close the boyfriend loopholes. I think about 60% of all shootings are caused by somebody who would fall under that category. Um, Could you explain that loophole to people just so, so people can understand how that works? So basically, um, under the Violence Against Women's Act, there used to be a boyfriend um, – there, there used to be a boyfriend uh, ruling or there is attempted to be a boyfriend ruling. And that basically said if you were in uh, convicted of some type of precursor to domestic violence, uh, whether it's stalking, actual domestic violence, um, harassment type of stuff, you could lose access to your firearm. Yeah. And the reason for that is <clears throat> uh, 60% of uh, cases that start with a domestic violence end up in, in, in uh, with a gun. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's like one of the, if not the largest precursors to gun violence is domestic. So who, is, is so some type of domestic just violence. just just to clarify again, whoever the whoever the stalker was, whoever the person who would done who had committed the pre-domestic violence act was, that individual would be denied access to gun ownership. What if they had gun ownership already? Would that be a precursor, or would that be an automatic removal of guns? Would would that be sort of its own red flag law as it were going into effect because this is such a huge thing and it usually gets such short shrift when people discuss it with that I, act I believe so yeah yeah uh, yeah it makes so much sense
Right. So this is why when the Violence Against Women Act um, expired in, I want to say like 2017. Yeah, it was, it was a few years was back, be- about five years back, yeah. Was because of this, um, this ruling. Mm-hmm. So it passed recently, but it did not have this piece in it. Which makes it, you know, useless in, in, in large, me- well, in, a certain part of it becomes useless. And when we talk about yeah. this, you have to be convicted of these charges. It's not like, so, because obviously the, res- the, the obvious bad faith point would be, well, oh, I'm going to just accuse random random white men of, uh, of, of stalking or harassment and get their guns taken away. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, that's not how that works. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is we have to change the culture. So, like, let's – so they recently just talked about doors. Like, doors are the answer, um, even ha, though yeah, all, yeah, the yeah. door arguments are ridiculous. But they're also talking about arming teachers. And the level of depth that you have to go into that is – it's about uh, seven years of training for five separate jobs in order for the, the teachers to not be police officers. They have to be soldiers for this because they have to be uh, both field medics. They have to be uh, – they have to go through a bunch of psych evals. They have to go through – basically, they have to be um, like SWAT units who are trained for close-quarter combat in order to remove a target and save 30 people yeah, yeah, by themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and David, beyond, beyond the obvious insanity of the notion, which of course has never stopped the Democrats or the NRA from uh, – the Republicans or the NRA – <laughs> Excuse me from from presenting this idea. This this was out there back during uh, Newtown, and I've heard got, they were they were putting us out during uh, Columbine even. But th- th- no one seems to go with the even more obvious downside of that of, of of a notion that's stupid. Who the hell wants to be a teacher with a sidearm ready to go ahead and blow people away? Who wants that job? How, what do you think that's going to do to the numbers of people interested in the teaching profession in this country? It's going to decimate teachers. As it is right now, we are in a severe teaching shortage right now. Can you imagine what would happen if we actually, actually made it possible for teachers or mandated that teachers had to carry weapons? I mean, that's insanity. Well, it, there's, there's two things. That One... Um, any teacher who wants to be able to do that probably should be a teacher. And two, yeah, good point. Um, if it destroys public education, they're happy with it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's that's boy, that's such a that's such a sick but good point. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. The, the, so there is actually some other thing to. There are other things to pay attention with schools. Yeah. Um, it's. Uh, the ever-present anti-trans stuff that's going on. So there's uh, three separate things to talk about. There's one is the the Daily Wire. Um, yeah, yeah. There, that's Ben Shapiro's uh, organization. It is just a hate site. Um, they recently come out. They have these uh, because ben, yeah, the the goal of the Daily Wire is at least um, entertainment side is the fact that Ben Shapiro is a failed Hollywood kid. And his goal is to uh, rectify that by creating uh, shitty movies or documentaries. Yeah. Um, all the not? documentaries are, <clears throat> yeah. um, they're propaganda for the worst people. You have uh, Candace's Owens. Uh, the title of this, I, I, this is the actual title of the um, the documentary is George Floyd: The Biggest Lie Ever Told. 
which huh. is her um, George Floyd deserve it and black people deserve to be second class citizens and it's okay to discriminate against them uh, type of uh, documentary. She great, has great, a, great, uh, yeah. A, an, anti, an anti-vax child documentary on Rumble. And their new one that they're crowing about is called What is a Woman? Where they're, uh, they're anti-trans uh, uh, host um, who calls himself an actual fascist, Matt Walsh, goes around and asks people what is a woman. And the answer to that is, you can't tell us either, buddy. Um, because I don't know if you've ever had this conversation with with uh, one of these 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 anti-trans turf type people. There is no definition for a woman that encompasses all women and nothing else. That's interesting. <laughs> um, but what, so, they're so all and <laughs> they're all cheering about this. They're all like, "Oh yeah." You know, liberals can't uh, tell us what a woman is. And this used to be a definition. It's like I, I would, I would ask them, to, uh, tell us what the definition of a man is. You know, t- turn yeah, it they around. Would tell us something absurd or something that doesn't cover <laughs> so all that. I mean, come on. Okay, what's your point? It's a the distinction without a, without a purpose. You know. And that's when we get to the legislative side. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. So yeah. two bills that have passed, and I haven't had time to look through all of them. I've only seen some snippets. One of them in Florida appears to be that they have also followed Texas, where they're going to say that they, they will no longer give medical care or, uh, to uh, trans kids who are transitioning. Um, the other one is, I want to say it's the Ohio bill, which is a complete ban on trans kids um, playing in sports. And there's an enforcement mechanism in this that is able to be triggered by any parent who believes that a child is trans. And that enforcement mechanism (laughs) is a genital evaluation where somebody has to go check whether you have a penis or not. Good Lord. That sounds the, the, the enforce that sounds like the Texas rule where anyone can can basically begin an action against someone who believes they think they might have had an abortion. Is that it's that kind of crazy thing. Is there a, is, do you get a ten thousand dollar bonus if you do it? Is there a is there a is there a bounty on the on the person's head? This is wonderful. I haven't checked. I oh, don't think man. they would bounty these. Kids. I mean this, this is the type of crap that with a rational court system, all of this basically gets tucked away it's it's simply red meat it's designed it's designed to say but the thing that's scary with with roe v wade seemingly on the chopping block right now and starry decisis being on the verge of being thrown out and and the court the supreme court proving the, the u.s supreme court scotus declaring itself to be nothing but a political body none of this stuff you, you can't count on the judiciary, any judiciary in any state or, any, or at the federal level, basically, to, to do, do the right thing. I mean, to, to follow its own laws. That's the scary part right now, the really scary part. It's no longer just you laugh when you hear about these cockamamie laws. You can, first, you can't laugh because they were actually passed by a state legislature. That's the scary, that's scary A, but it's doing it saying, you know, stop me before I put the gun to my head over here. And usually there was someone there to stop them. I'm not sure about that anymore. Well, it's not even that. It's also the circuit courts as well that are doing this. Like we need yeah, to yeah, oh, yeah. overhaul this system. Because here's here's basically what the setup is. It's the setup to essentially allow for... Um, to allow for 
the rule a, a unilateral executive to control everything. Yeah. Um, because yeah. Yeah. Congress yeah. is broken yeah. and incapable of doing anything. Yeah, that's that's and where we're going. Yeah, exactly. The things that are passed would then be subject to an incredibly hostile, anti-democratic, anti, um, anti-fact, anti-consistency court. Um, who basically just will side with whatever reactionary shit they decide. Yep. Yep. Then it's basically up to the, the federal government. Because think about this. Let's let's just talk about the, the baby sh- the baby food shortage or inflation. Well, keep in mind, inflationary issues are global and we're currently doing better. Um, that doesn't matter. Nobody gives a shit about that. Um, governors could be doing more. They could be doing more for the baby food shortage. They could be doing more for the, the gas shortage. Also, Britain uh, passed a 25% windfall tax, and we should be doing that. But we can't even look into price gouging. Yeah, I, that, that, that's the other thing. Didn't, didn't Biden say that the federal gas tax uh, was removed on, on gasoline in this country as of, I think it was uh, Tuesday or Monday of this week, I haven't seen any change on any at any gas stations around here, and I don't really I don't know how large that number is, but it should be something noticeable. Otherwise, why bother doing it at all? Have you heard or seen anything on that front, David? I don't know when it got removed. I thought it was <clears throat> yeah. as well. Yeah, Biden but was talking not, about that. Yeah, but we have to remember this is not a shortage issue; it's a greed issue. Yeah, and of it's course. also worth mentioning that the the G seven five of the Five of the seven nations said that they will be they will have oil out of their electric system by 20, 2050. That was the original proposal. Mm. Um, but basically, they 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 said they would do it to bigger steps. But f- the two nations that didn't do it were the United States and Japan. Yeah, which is a mistake because we can, if you already look into some of these sectors, you see some of the wealthier people and the massive buys toward green energy. Britain just had more power than they could figure out how to, how to store based entirely on wind and solar. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, <laughs> the shift to green energy would not only revitalize millions and millions of jobs, just restructuring our uh, our energy grids so that we have the power lines and the ability to, um, you know, store the batteries to building the nuclear plants, to building the wind farms, to building the solar farms, all of this to building the, the electric car chargers, all of this to revitalizing uh, roads, to revitalizing buildings. To Like it is a massive economic boom. And it is if we're talking about heading toward a recession due to this inflationary spiral because of a global bunch of global issues, that's a green deal type of thing that will at least help stabilize us for a while. Yeah, yeah, sure. And we're like, but the but really the more important thing is, if we do not do this, it's going to get worse. Yeah. And unfortunately, the people in charge. We'll all be dead by the time it gets unbearable. 
They just don't, they're just more concerned about having their own jobs for now. Mitch McConnell cares about his own job, and that's about it for now. And he's just counting on going down whenever he wants to go down in full control, in full power, having basically, you know, shat on everyone and everything that he ever needed to in order to prove his own, uh, his own strength. And that's going to be his legacy. Unfortunately, the rest of that legacy will be to drive us that much closer to um, non-functionality as, as a nation or irrelevancy. I, I, no, no, I take that back. I can't imagine America ever becoming irrelevant. There's too much here and there's, and there's too much in the way of resources, the major resource being uh, our military. Uh, we have too much physical strength uh, tied into too much weaponry and too much power, that too much projection power for that to suddenly become irrelevant. Uh, my biggest fear is always that no matter what, everything else is going to hell in terms of, <coughs> excuse me, tradition in this country. I think the the independence of the military may be going in that same direction if things get bad enough. I don't know how you feel about that. No, I, I don't. I don't know. But like, good, good to hear you say that. The thing with this is. Um, I don't care about your tradition. I'm going to be honest. The last 30 years of traditions have fucked everything. Um, yeah. yeah. We, need a, we need a radical rethinking of essentially every fabric of society. Actually, that brings me to another point. There was, a, um, there was an article recently, or actually let me rephrase it. There was a fake article boosted by a fake news system yeah. that um, circled around, and it proposed that... Uh, Black students would no longer be graded on the same curve as white students in this school <laughs> in in Ohio. Except when you read the article, first off, it's not a real news organization. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. One yeah, of these yeah. uh, right wing fake troll sites. Oh, great, wonderful. And the yeah. way they described it was directly designed to make people mad over racial issues. Now, what it actually was was looking at schooling and deciding which factors in grading have nothing to do with the student's ability to learn. And the, oh. some of those factors happen to more heavily affect African-American students. So by removing those, those as part of the grading system, it allows for better students or better access to, to teaching and better grades because the nonsense that, that's in there is no longer affecting those students negatively. Now, the way we do teaching has to change anyway just because we, we don't do a good job on it. Yeah. So yeah. having stories like this, whose whole thing is designed, because there's this whole ecosystem that's designed basically to say, oh, uh, a minority is getting a leg up and they're doing it because they're a minority. Um, you should be mad about that. Yeah. That whole thing just just spirals. And it all would have required was a little bit of inf a little bit of uh, research to realize how bad and stupid this uh, this story was. Mm. But, but basically, the people who want to believe it are exactly the same people who would not be even the slightest bit interested in researching it to verify its, uh, its truth or falsity. That's the whole point. It's getting to the people who want to believe it. And maybe, and maybe making a few converts along the way if it sounds credible enough. And people aren't, uh, you know, aren't bothering to check it out carefully. Or if it's, you know, if it's mostly coming through what would be established right-wing sites. Well, you're, you're preaching to the choir, I guess. But you might get a few converts. Well, yeah. 
because it's 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 it look this is the most frustrating thing about all of this over and over again we've talked about this do something even if it fails you have to show that you're fighting because they don't have a plan there's not a single policy point that they have that would help people no, the only policy not. points are rick scott's and they are an abject disaster yeah yeah that's, 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 and yeah look i know things are tough i know it's it's hard to deal with the literal global amount of of uh issues that are happening, whether it's the wars, it's the pandemics, it's the inflationary issues, because their argument is currently that global inflation is happening because Biden spent $2 billion on the American people. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, yeah, something along those lines. The the, the other, their, yeah, go ahead. And their answer is, while people are suffering, the way to stop that suffering is to take away their social safety nets. Sure, of course, that would somehow... I don't. It makes as much sense as anything else. I, I I love the argument that goes. You know, if 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 some if one of the democratic propositions concerning gun control, if it had been in place, the one that they're asking, whatever whatever one is up there you know, right now, whatever one is being talked about, if it's if it's red flag laws, if it's whatever it might be, even if it was in place, it would not have stopped. And then you name name the massacre, name name that uh, name name that 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 gun. Uh, d- disaster name name that particular uh, you know horror show, and and the thing that is so frustrating about that argument is that it assumes that anything that is done, any rational legislation passed concerning guns, will have an immediate and instantaneous and positive effect on everything going forward in gun ownership. And the part that drives me nuts is when I hear people talking like this, my first reaction is, how the hell long do you think it took to get 300 million guns on the streets in America? And if you can answer that question with some accuracy, how long should it take to begin removing the worst of the of the weaponry and the and and the worst of the people holding on to weapons should it should it have taken decades to to create the problem and therefore we must be able to solve it overnight and that's the thing that drives me the craziest when 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 supposedly the republicans have a comeback well you see it wouldn't have changed anything no, you jerk. Of course it's not going to change. But if it took guns away from one potential killer, you know, I, I, I just throw that out there. It, that, would make com- that would be common sense, a commonsensical response under almost any other circumstances to any other situation. But here somehow in the gun argument, that never comes up. I can't, I, I'm, I'm not sure why. Uh, and, and it's something that we should be bringing up more often as well. I go on. Well, also, the idea, like, when we talk about this, we got to talk about the numbers. There have been 233 mass shootings in the United States this year. Now, I know that's the number often cited. I haven't looked directly at it because I because I know, like, the one that um, they use for uh, school shootings doesn't cover, is, is extremely broad. But generally, a mass shooting is four more people besides the shooter that have been hurt or killed. Yeah. Um, so we're averaging about one a day. When we're talking about the gun violence ec- epidemic, can we get it? Because mass shootings are very broad, and I've, I know I've talked about this before. But a mass shooting that kills four, that hurts four people, and the Vegas shooting that hurt five hundred, yeah, are both considered mass shootings. Mm. So, 
if we got it down to less than a mass shooting day, and we're talking the bare minimum that every single one daily was four people, we're saving 365 people. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. The idea, like, this is the only, there's only two things that they ever use the argument, oh, you can't get it to zero, so there's no point to stop. It's COVID and gun violence. Yeah. They don't talk about, oh, you can never get to zero murder, so we shouldn't have murder laws. We sh- yeah, sure. Oh, you sure. can never get to zero rape, so we can't have rape laws. Oh, you can never get to zero uh, corporate greed, so we can have no corporate greed laws, which we basically don't. Um, you know, only, this is the on- only thing yeah. that matters. Yeah, David, that, that's such a that's an incredibly good point. An incredibly good point. Uh, and we're going to have to keep driving this home. We're going to have to keep talking about this. We're going to, as I say, there is no, there's no stasis possibility here. This is not going to stay the way it is right now. It's going to get worse. The, the conflict among Americans, this 20-25% of the wackos who are going to become more concentrated, more angry, more frightened, more in need of clutching their guns, more, more desperately worried about the possibility of doing something to eliminate violence or take guns away from people. This is only going to make the situation worse in this country. But we're not going to solve anything by silence. We're not going to solve anything by just sitting back. The first thing we have to do is confront fears. Why are people so frightened that they have to have guns no matter what? Why does all logic fly out the window? Why does all reason just suddenly escape everybody whenever the issue of gun ownership? Why is it a totally emotional issue? And 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 we've answered, you and I have, have spoken about this, we've answered the question back and forth, but it has to get to the legislative level. People have to finally deal with the fear that is driving the ongoing ownership and possession of guns by the wrong people, the capacity to buy guns for the wrong people, the failure to do background checks, the failure to do true uh, red flag, the failure to deal with the mental illness of how many people who currently own weapons. They keep talking about no, it's a mental illness thing. Well, let's deal with mental illness. That's where red flag laws take us. But as soon as you begin getting past the words mental illness, because those are nothing but a barrier to avoid talking about the guns themselves, well, that's when it all falls down, and we're back where we start, but we're never back where we start. We're always going a little deeper, and it's always getting a little uglier, and that's why I appreciate so much uh, every Friday and the ability to hear your thoughts on on these subjects. Um, which, of course, people should be listening to beyond just uh, here on Center Left Radio. David, where else can they hear you? They can hear me at uh, twitch.tv slash freshfacesnewideas and follow me on Twitter at facesideas. Please do follow David. Uh, it's you, uh, Many of you know who are listening in today, you know that you come here on Friday to hear David uh, and to hear, hear his thoughts and hear us basically go back and forth. Uh, keep listening. Don't be afraid to raise questions yourself. Have conversations with people you disagree with. Have civil conversations, but have conversations. This is not going away. None of this is going away. It's not just going to get better when the, when the curve comes up and down. It's not just a circle. It's not just a cycle. We are pretty much on a line here, heading downward, unless we stop and deal with the fear 
that is driving so much of this. David, I thank you once again. I thank you all for listening. And, and uh, it being Friday and it being the end of the show, I get to say the words that have a slightly calming effect for me. I hope they have something of a calming effect for you, but at least a chance to think about getting calm. Well, there's a, there's a bit of a stretch. Oh, let's just go ahead and get it out there. A little jazz. been listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you once again for being part of today's show. It's the same thing over and over, facing our fears. Why does America have this obsession with guns? What fear are we attempting to overcome? Are we frightened by the Supreme Court disintegrating? Are we frightened by the notion that our legislature is useless? Are we frightened by the idea that we are being left with nothing but an autocratic chief executive? What would you do if you were the world's strongest military?